Did you know the Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Well, since my baby left me, well, I found a new place to dwell. Well, it's down at the end of Lone Street, that heartbreak hotel. Hello, and welcome to the Life of a Song podcast. This is the second episode in an expanded monthly version of the series. I'm Peter Aspden, and I write about pop, among other things, for the FT. I'm joined in the studio by David Cheel. Hi, David. Hi, Peter. David is the editor responsible for the Life of a Song series published every week in FT Weekend Life and Arts and online. And today, ahead of the 40th anniversary of Elvis Presley's death next month, we'll be discussing his 1956 hit, Heartbreak Hotel. Although it's always crowded, you still can find some room for broken-hearted lovers to cry there in the gloom. David, why did you choose? What drew you to this particular Elvis song? Well, it was quite significant in terms of his early career, wasn't it? Yeah, a couple of things. I mean, mainly it was the fact that it was his national breakthrough single. Prior to this, he'd had sort of regional hits with uh, songs like That's All Right and Mystery Train and Good Rockin' Tonight. But Heartbreak Hotel took him to the top of the national US singles charts and it stayed there at, at number one. Also, I, I chose it because it's it's got such a good story behind it and it's got several really interesting cover versions, one of which is, I think, one of the best cover versions of any song ever. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, let's, let's talk about the story because uh, it came from a newspaper clipping, did it not? Yes, there are different versions of the story. One of them is that a, there was a story in the Miami Herald which the songwriters read. That was Tommy Durden and May Boren Axton. They read this story in the newspaper about a guy who committed suicide and left behind a note that said, I walk a lonely street. Then they, this, yeah, it's a wonderful line, uh, and so they picked up that line. That was a sort of the accepted version for a long time, except that I think you'll appreciate this, Peter, because the, the, the sort of diligence of some rock journalists is extraordinary. People have gone through the Miami Herald clippings and discovered that there was no no such story appeared. Right, um, fake news. Yes. <laughs> so then subsequently Rolling Stone had another look and dug deeper and found this other character called Alvin Krolik, who was a career criminal, and he handed himself into the police um, with a note that said, this is the story of a person who walked a lonely street. I hope this will help someone in the future. And again, this sort of caught on in the press. And yeah, it's it was... great. It's like all the petty criminals of the time were writing film noir novels, yeah. you know, these kind of fantastic lines. You yeah, know. <laughs> yes, the, it, it's... it's a, it's a wonderful line. And um, he came to a rather sad end, well, a tragic end, because he, he went back to the dark side and, and held up a liquor store and was shot by the owner. And again, that story caught on in the press, you know, the death of the lonely street man. Yeah, lonely um, street. It's a one-way street, lonely street. It is, It yeah. only leads one way. Yeah, and his choice of liquor store was very bad because I think the owner had already shot dead um, several <laughs> would-be robbers. Oh, man, yeah, this is a good subject for a song too, yeah. the liquor store owner. Yeah, yeah. 
And apart, I mean, apart from those great lyrics, it's musically a pretty interesting song too, isn't it? Yes, it is. In some ways, it's fairly conventional because it's it's an eight bar blues, but in, in other ways, it's a really interesting piece of music. As you said, this is the this is the beginning of a new phase of Elvis's career, isn't it? We had the the Sun Sessions, extraordinary yeah. Yeah. Sun Sessions, which were the the foundation and arguably the invention of rock and roll. We can bat that back and forth. Yeah. But this, you know, even even the production of it, that incredible echoey sound, mm. um, matching the darkness of the lyric, it's yeah. uh, it's something really very different. It's a step change, isn't it? It is, yeah. I mean, there's two things to be said here. One is that that kind of weird echo. They achieved a similar effect in Sun Studios by using a delay mechanism on two tape recorders. Elvis didn't know how to do this because he was kind of, in a way, producing Heartbreak Hotel. They had a sort of a, a corridor in the studios, so he opened out the studio and repositioned the microphone. So, effect, in effect, it's a natural kind of echo. And the other thing is that that sort of extraordinary um, electricity that you get from it was something that resonated with an awful lot of people. I mean, there's, there are probably at least a dozen popular singers like Robert Plant, Paul McCartney, John Lennon, yeah. who say that hearing Heartbreak Hotel for the first time was like a life-changing experience yeah. f- for them. It's it's very chilling, isn't it? And yeah. it is dark. I think that dar- yeah. darkness is the key word here. Yeah. I've been watching a lot of the early clips of him, the video clips, and mm. it's almost too dark for him, for Elvis himself. When you watch him deliver these lines, there's a slight... He ends quite a lot of the lines with a little smile there, as if, mm. you know... God, this is this really you know yes. can, can he can he get into the melodrama of it really yeah. kind of slightly distances himself from yeah. it I think because it is an unremittingly bleak song isn't Absolutely. it There's, there is no there is no redemption there I mean each chorus ends with the words I get so lonely I could die I could die but, and he uh, but he doesn't really sound like he could no. die does he It's so kind of stylized. <laughs> He actually sings it with a swagger, yeah. which is possibly a fault and and interesting to compare with the John Cale version, which we'll come on to later. Yeah. My favourite verse, I mean, I love these lyrics. The bellhop's tears keep flowing and the desk clerk's dressed in black. They've been so long on Lonely Street, they're never coming back. It's like David yeah. Lynch, isn't it? Yes. Kind of so, so ahead of its time. So... Um... Having recorded it, Elvis then went on to perform it throughout his career, including there was a TV comeback special in 1968, mm. um, which I think you've got very powerful yeah, memories no, of, haven't it. you, well, Peter? Yes. A, you know, it's one of the unmissable pieces of television of our time. Mm. It's an extraordinary uh, moment when Elvis is uh, finally has his own way, you know, breaks free from the control of Colonel Tom and gets to record something like what he wants to do. Oh, boy, my boy. For a long time, Jack, I'm telling you. Uh, and he dresses in black, in black leather, and he does a kind of unplugged version with his old bandmates yeah, in a boxing they're ring. They're all sitting around. Sitting around, yeah. yeah. Uh, the drummer's, in fact, playing his guitar case. You know, it's all very kind of stripped back and yeah. casual. But he, A, he looks absolutely fantastic. I mean, just gorgeous, mm. uh, you know, at his absolute peak. But he's also really putting 
heart and soul into most of the stuff. With Heartbreak Hotel, he's a little bit, as I said before, he's a little bit tentative about it. He comes on and there's this lovely bit when they're just tuning up and he says, uh, it's been a long time. And uh, and then immediately one of his bandmates says, yeah, about 15 minutes, you know, referring <laughs> yes. to the fact that they've just recorded a segment. Yeah. So there's already this kind of joke about what they're mm. doing. And then he says, are we on TV? And again, the response comes, we're on a train heading for Tulsa. You know, and it's a really great, um, great thing. And he begins to sing it, as I said, with this sort of half smile on his face. And then halfway through, he loses his way and he says, hot dog. And he stops and he says, I'm out of breath, which shows the kind of intensity. It's not an easy song to sing, you know, especially the way he does it. At one point, he does his um, his lip curl. He uses his finger to do his lip curl. You know, mm. very very conscious of the effect very that this song arch. used to have. Yeah. yeah, very arch. Quite ironic. Then he forgets the lyrics, and then at the end of it, says that's the worst job I've ever done on a song. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's it's absolutely fascinating yeah. to watch. Funny you should say hot dog because when he was first played the song as in a demo form by one of the writers by uh, Axton, he said hot dog may play that again. Yeah. Uh, yes. So popular, maybe he was a refer- maybe he was referring well, back to that. If you know, if you're surfing YouTube, what's terribly sad is that as you're as you're watching this, your your attention goes to the list of things on the right, mm. and there's the 1972 version, and this is a rehearsal for one of the Vegas shows that he's doing four years later, and it's only four years later, but he looks ten years older, mm. ten years fatter. Yeah and drugged up and and he's kind of rambling he's wandering around the stage he's saying what key are we in what he's a little bit bad tempered what key is it e or c and he says because half the guys in the key half the guys are going to do one key the other half going to do another and i'll be asleep Mm. and he kind of looks like he's ready to sleep and and he starts singing it and there's this amazing telling thing halfway through the verse he just says to no one in particular come on inspiration Right, I mean, yeah. you know, where yeah. where is the inspiration? Yeah. He's, he's a tired man. He's on the yeah. way to the, yeah. the very and, tragic and, end. And fi- I mean, he carried on singing it until the year of his death. I mean, yeah. the last performance was in Baltimore in May 1977, which is three, right. month, three months before Just he died. Just before, yeah. 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 Um, now, it was covered uh, sort of famously and sometimes ingloriously. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Cash did an early one, didn't he? Yeah, he did a fun version on, on a TV show uh, in 1959. Yeah, yeah um, it's, it's interesting. Let, let's take a listen to it. Yeah. Well, it's trying to take him of all the street at the public hotel. You'll be so long. You'll be so long. <laughs> You'll be so long. That's uh, obviously a send-up. Yep. I think an affectionate yeah. send-up. I think we can call and, it. And a very, I mean, it shows Cash's gift for mimicry, which is yeah, re- sure. remarkable. But it, in a way, it's almost kind of postmodern. Cash later said it was an impersonation of a rock and roll singer impersonating Elvis. 
which yeah. is a sort of twice removed way of exactly. Of, of, and again, doing it. it's that distance, isn't it? He, it's yeah. almost like I can't do I can't do an Elvis impression. Yeah. I, you know, I can't. So I yeah. just go one step. Yeah, yeah. and he's doing right. the exaggerated hip swiveling and, yeah. and and putting his running his hands through his quiff. And, and the girls and, are screaming. Um, are they screaming at Cash or at a sort of simulacrum? It, uh, of I was thinking that. What, yeah. it, what is, is are they being told to scream or is it genuine screaming? It's a it's it's a weird thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's very weird indeed. Moving on quite a few years, we get this um, arguably definitive version, which you mentioned earlier, by uh, by John Cale. Mm. Um, I mean, it's it really brings out, it really does bring out the morbidness of the, yeah. and the darkness of the song more than anything else. Let, yeah. Let's just listen to that. Since my baby left me, I found a new place to dwell. What was the history of that, David? Well, John Cale uh, was signed at the time in 1974 to uh, Island Records. I think at the time Ireland was known primarily as a reggae label, so they wanted to promote some of their more sort of indie, sort of uh, left-field acts. So they organised a concert at London's Rainbow Theatre, which featured John Cale, Kevin Ayers, Eno and Nico. This show was performed and actually recorded and later released on an album. And Cale decided to do a cover version. And basically, he chose Heartbreak Hotel because he was just fascinated by the lyric and the different voices that you get in each verse and the darkness of the song. And he said later, it's a very rich portrait of a character. And it's a, it's a very, very, you know, if, if you know the history of John Cale's music, it's always out there on the edge and exploring the darker side. And he does exactly that with with this version. I mean, at times it's almost unrecognisable. And I kind of think what, you know, Elvis would have been alive when when this was released, what he would have made of it. Mm. Um, Because it's less less than 20 years since Elvis first recorded it yeah. released it and if you think what's between those two versions what is it 18 yeah. years yeah, it's an yeah. extraordinary amount of pop history as well exactly and american history in fact. yeah and that's coming to the point i was making earlier that elvis i'm not sure the 50s was ready for heartbreak hotel it mm. was just it was just too much it was too dystopian it was too out of kilter mm. uh, and i think I think the rest of Elvis's rock and roll just kind of hit a nerve. But this was, he didn't quite get it. He didn't quite get mm. to those lyrics, great as the version is. Yeah. Whereas Kale, the 1970s, America's ready to handle the kind of the full version, especially in the company of the likes of Nico and yes. Yes. yes, I think it is, yeah, absolutely one of the best covers. Yes. And in the intervening years also, there a couple of other people have... Well, actually, there have been more than 200 versions of Heartbreak Hotel, but a couple of people, I think, are worth pausing to have a listen to. And I'd be interested to know what you think of these versions, Peter. There's Bert Jansch, who did a sort of a bluesy version in 1982. Now the Alone, 
Yeah, do you know, the first thing I thought when I started hearing that was I'd love to hear Dylan sing it. Yes. It's slightly got that that, that sort of mid-60s Dylan uh, bluesy thing. And, Mm. and of course, Dylan would make so much more of those lyrics. Mm. But uh, they weren't his, so (laughs) that that would be a problem. It doesn't quite go to the dark side, but... um, I think I think that his, his voice isn't sort of really equipped to do that. No. Another one which I think you'd be interested in is from the Cramps, who covered it in 1987. And I think this is another one that sort of really mines the dark heart of the song. Well, this is my baby, let me not find a place to dwell. It's down the end of Lonely Street, it hopefully go to a window. You'll be so lonely, baby. Oh, so lonely. Yes, that's not one of my favourites, I have to say. A bit of a kind of uh, thrashy, you know, mm. it could be anything. But it shows, you know, the, the song, it's it's kind of indestructible, isn't it? Yeah. It can be covered by yeah. anyone. Yeah. Do you like that one? Is that, does that do something I, for I, you? Kind of. It, it, it's kind of a bit, hearing it again, it's kind of knockabout. Um, and there's a bit of Elvis sort of parody there in yeah. the way he does the, 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 the way he does the chorus, and they, they put a bit of echo on there as well. But it's got um, energy and rawness, you know. It's, it's classic sort of cramps, sort of punk rockabilly. Yeah. So uh, before we bring things to a close, uh, I thought maybe I could ask you, Peter, if there's anyone who, as far as we know, hasn't covered the song, who you would like to hear covering Heartbreak Hotel. Oh, gosh, you know, I think I think between Elvis and Kale, they kind of got it pretty much taped, you know. Mm. Listening to Kale, I thought of Patti Smith as well. I thought yeah. it's the kind of thing yeah. uh, she I, could do. I, I, think. I was thinking, actually, that uh, none of the versions that, I've, that we've listened to today are by female singers, yeah. so it would be interesting to hear a, would. A, a, Absolutely. A, a female take yeah. on it. That's right. I think it's... As I said before, I think you could... I mean, I think anyone could cover it and find something interesting in it, but... It really finds its place in the 70s when the dystopian nature of it really, yeah. really comes across. It's almost like a song waiting for its time yeah, to exactly, arrive. Exactly. Yeah. I think Nick Cave described it as this definitive product of voodoo southern subculture. And it, it does yeah. set the spine tingling, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what about you? Who do you see uh, storming it on stage at Glastonbury next year? Well, you just mentioned Nick Cave, who I think um, yeah. I think he may well have covered it, but... Uh, it's very much his his song. Yeah. As I said before, it'd be interesting to hear female singers to see what they would bring to it. Yes, Taylor Swift, maybe. <laughs> maybe not. Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, on that note, I think we'll leave it till next time. Thanks very much, Peter. Thanks, pleasure. We've reached the end of the street, yeah. lonely or otherwise. Man, it's the worst job I've ever done on a song. Man, that's a lot. It was still pretty. Hey, you ought to hear the bass player over here. <laughs> Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today.
published by American Funds Distributors, Inc. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellincat.com.